Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Al D. This is a show designed for aspiring current and former MBAs looking for advice on how you can grow your career through an MBA degree. During each episode, I'll talk to MBA students, graduates, and leaders about the MBA experience, navigating the workplace, and career development so you can learn how to develop and achieve your own version of career success through an MBA and beyond. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. Today, we have another special episode in which I bring on MBA Insider good friend and my own good friend, Jody Interfield. Jody has been a guest host before, and I'm giving her the mic to interview one of her friends, Rebecca Offensend, who is a MBA graduate of Columbia Business School. I brought Jody on in the past. She's been a guest before, and she's also been a host before. And I asked her to bring on someone to help tell their story about why they chose to go to business school, what they got out of the experience, and how their MBA has helped them in their career. And Jody decided to bring Rebecca on the podcast. So make sure you listen in. This was a really fun episode. And please make sure, if you really enjoy this episode, to let Jody know. She is a guest host and would love to keep having her coming back. And so make sure you give her a thumbs up and encourage her to continue to being a guest host on my show. Listen in and let us know what you think. Hello and welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Jody Innerfield and I am guest hosting today's podcast. I'm a current marketer and a Michigan Ross MBA alum, go blue. And today I'm joined by Rebecca Offensend, who received her MBA from Columbia in 2016. Rebecca has what MBAs would call a non-traditional path to the MBA with experience in marketing, startups, and nonprofits before business school, and then a pivot into investment banking and impact investing after business school. Thanks so much for joining us today, Rebecca. Thanks, Jody. Excited to be here. Thrilled to have you. In MBA insider fashion, Al always starts with a warm-up question, so I'm going to do the same. And I'm going to go a little off the beaten path with what is your pump-up song of choice? Excellent question because it changes all the time. I am a dance pop girl at heart. Mm. So it's everything from ABBA to like Ava Max if we're covering all the decades. I love it. Uh, But the one that like can always put a smile on my face, always like I hear the first opening bars and I'm like – already in a good mood no matter how grumpy I am is Return of the Mac by Mark Morrison. I love Return it. of the Mac. Yeah. Just <laughs> immediately happy. Immediately in a good mood. I love it. I love yeah. it. Mine is Shake It Off by Taylor Swift because I oh. am a Swifty. But the fun fact that actually does relate to this podcast is that song came out like the week before business school started for me. And so to me, it always brings me back to the start of business school and that whole feeling that whole time, that whole adventure, which I guess would, is a good segue to yeah. a little bit more about what you did before you went to business school. Well, I always say that I did a little bit of everything, but the truth is I basically just worked with a lot of different startups in different capacities. So my main gig before starting business school was that I worked for a company called Viator. It's a travel company that got acquired by TripAdvisor. And so if you've ever been on TripAdvisor and bought like a ticket to the Eiffel Tower or a Mm -hmm. pizza walking tour or something like that, you probably bought it through Viator. So thank you. 
So I worked for them for a long time. That was my day job. And then I moonlighted working for social enterprises and consulting for crowdfunding campaigns because that was really during the heyday of Kickstarter and Indiegogo and all those places and helping really cool companies get off the ground with how are they getting their first funding? How are they finding their first customers? How are they getting the word out about what they're doing? So I think now today we would call that growth hacking. It's really just rebrand from marketing. (laughs) But that's what I did for a long time. And then about a year before business school, I met this woman named Eden and she had a nonprofit that she wanted someone to come in and run day-to-day operations. And so I joined her and joined this this nonprofit called Sun Saluter that was helping to spread solar energy devices in India and Africa. And it was awesome and a really fun time. And we did a lot of cool work. Very cool. So you'd already made some career switches before business school. So what was that decision-making process like to go to business school? Very good question. I think business school had always been on my radar. I really enjoy kind of leadership development training and thinking about those sorts of issues. I love learning. I am definitely a lifelong learner. And I think as I got more and more into the real world, and especially when I was at Sun Saluter, I realized there's a whole chunk of skills that I was missing on the hard, harder skill side or technical side in accounting and corporate finance, but also just a lot of ways that I could level up. And mm-hmm. I think having come from the startup world where there was no leadership training at all, let alone <laughs> a program, no development programs, nothing like that. I really wanted that. And so business school was like a very clear supplement to that mm. for me. So did you go in knowing you are going to make this transition to investment banking or is that something that you decided once you were at Columbia? It was a little bit of both. So I went in with a very clear idea of three or four very different career paths that I wanted to explore while I was there. Which I feel like um, we all do at business school. Which I think we all do. And, write and your essay with, I'm going to do this thing. Yeah. And then real, really, you've got Oh my like, gosh, yeah. I think I wrote my essay about, I'm going to be a consultant. <laughs> yeah, mine was human capital consulting. So I know we bashed consulting before we actually hit record yeah. here. But like we all, we'll do yeah. it. It happens. We'll do it. For most of us, it's also not what we end up doing. So yeah, how did you make that decision? Yeah. Yeah. So I went in with the plan to sort of explore three or four different things, including maybe I'll be, I'll go do marketing at a big CPG company. Um, Maybe I'll do something in supply chains. And investment banking was something that, that did attract me because of the really smart people who work in finance. Mm. I think that was always very much my North Star, which is a very unusual North Star, I think, for working in finance, but I really like working with smart people. Yeah, I think the working in startup land, it's a very uneven quality of people, especially (laughs) in the lower ranks. Mm -hmm. And that was something that really drew me in. And I think one thing that is harder to articulate is that with business school in particular and investment banking specifically, recruiting for that starts maybe two or three weeks into your very first semester of business school. And investment banking is such that if you don't start recruiting at the very beginning, it's very hard to get on that train once Mm -hmm. that train has left the station. And so I really thought of it as like an opt-in, opt-out sort of way of like, okay, here's three different things that I want to explore. This one has the earliest opt-in, opt-out. So I'm going to get on this train and we'll just see how far 
it yeah. goes before I decide I want to opt out. And so I did the full recruiting first semester for investment banking and said, okay, I'm going to interview for summer internships. If I don't get an internship or if I don't find anybody I like, then I'm not going to worry about it and I'm just going to spend second semester exploring other paths. Mm. I got an internship with a bank that I was really excited about, spent the summer there, and I said, okay, if I don't enjoy my summer, I'm not going to take this job or if I don't get the job, I'm not going to worry about it yeah. and then I can spend second year exploring other paths. And I ended up enjoying my summer and thinking, okay, I like this enough and I like these people enough that I can hack this for two years. Yeah. And so I accepted the full-time offer and that's how I became an investment banker. I love it. Um, was your, still a surprise. That's a, I feel like you had a really still surprise. It's still a surprise <laughs> to me and to basically everyone in my we life. Will, we will get, I want to get into that a little bit more, but before I do, I think you have a very, prag, it sounds like you had a really pragmatic approach to this career search and also that you sound like you were very, you had a lot more awareness of the process of recruiting than maybe I did. Or was that typical of Columbia? Did you all know when recruiting started for different things? Was your approach to your career search typical of the school or is that you? Oh, that's a good question. I think that's probably a little bit of both. Okay. I do think Columbia did a good job of Certainly, Columbia has like a heritage of being a finance school mm -hmm. and so very well set up to churn people out to go into investment banking. <laughs> they really made sure that we were really well prepared for the investment banking process. And so in some ways, it is really easy to – and this is true of any sort of big corporate ladder recruiting, like on-campus recruiting process. It's really easy to just get on that train yeah. and buckle your seatbelt and just stay on it and yeah. not really think critically about – whether or not this is right for you or whatever. Right. And that works really well for the school because it boosts their numbers of who has a job. And it worked really well for the companies because then they get people that they want to get. On the one hand, I think Columbia did a very good job of preparing all of us for what the process is and mm -hmm. explaining that process and telling us very early on, this is kind of it. Yeah. But I also think a lot of it is hindsight now and yeah. reflecting back. But I think the one of the most interesting things that I did that was maybe a little bit different was as soon as I was accepted to Columbia, which was winter, spring before I started, I started talking to some alums, but also just like other people in my network who had gone to business school yeah. and who were doing interesting things and just said, what should I be thinking about right now? What mm. should I know? Um, and I actually ended up having a really cool informational interview with the guy who did my like admissions interview, who was a hedge fund guy, had been an investment banker, was not someone who I probably would have crossed paths with okay. normally. And he was just like a super nice guy. And I was just like, this is like, it, this is a really cool career path that yeah. I would have completely overlooked because of American psycho stereotypes. <laughs> I love it. Me thinking that, oh, I don't want to work in a cubicle. I don't want to wear a suit, blah, 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 blah. And he was the one who was like, listen, it's a very intense and very early recruiting process. Okay. And so if you want to, you can opt out later. If you want to do it, you need to do it early. And that was just incredibly valuable advice. I think that's some really good advice that you just shared that talk to people you might not necessarily talk to otherwise. Yeah. I think I did something similar where as soon as I got admitted to Michigan, so before I even accepted, I got you were able to get access to the alumni yeah. database and I started reaching out to people, but I only reached out to people who were in a career path that I wanted to be in. Yeah. So I was reaching out to people who were like at Deloitte and human capital consulting to make sure that this was like this yeah, what you wanted prepare to prepare them. 
which was good. It was great to get that perspective. And the fact that all of these people who had no connection to me, like I hadn't accepted, I was not Mm -hmm. a Michigan student, but they were excited to speak to me. That spoke really highly of the community. So I feel like I did the right thing and for what I knew at that point. But I think your advice to talk to people who are doing different things, just whoever you can find so you can get more exposure to different career paths. I think that's the honestly the most eye-opening part of business school for me that you're exposed to all these career paths that you didn't even know existed. But if you wait until you get there to start exploring them or even hear what they are for some careers like investment banking, you're too late. You're too late. Yep. Yeah. I think, and that's advice I give to almost everybody, even if you're not going to business school is if you see someone who like has a job that you're like, wow, Mm -hmm. that sounds really cool. What is that? Just reach out to them and yeah, say more. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think some of the most interesting conversations I've had. Another conversation I had during that time period was with a woman who I knew through a random college alumni thing who was very high up at Yum Brands. And she did like asset management, which is like managing the actual restaurants and like the physical spaces. And that's not something I ever would have known about, but she's talked about like her career and her progression and the sorts of things that she did every day. We're doing this really cool thing that I knew nothing about within this really prominent brand. And so that was also very eye-opening. So yeah, I I encourage people like follow your your curiosity. There's never a better time than now. Um, And there's definitely never a better time than I love it. So, so you followed your curiosity into investment banking. What was your biggest (laughs) surprise and biggest learning from that experience? Biggest surprise. Actually, honestly, biggest surprise. I think I was expecting maybe 90% assholes, 10% nice people. Uh Uh-huh. And biggest surprise was like, it's more like 50-50. Okay. That's so, pretty good. Yeah, pretty good, honestly. <laughs> for the investment banking world. Sorry to all the bad Again, yeah, sorry to the, all the investment bankers. No, you guys are the good 50% if you're listening. So. Of course, yeah. So yeah, I think, which I think just further solidified my belief that there are a lot of really good people who work in finance and a lot of really smart mm. people and that finance isn't all bad people. It's just a tool and yeah. it's a very real job and job area that is huge. And then, yeah, one of my biggest takeaways, I really, it really unlocked the technical side of myself. Like I definitely consider myself an Excel nerd now. I really like nerd out on business models and reading 10Ks and looking over business plans and projections and stuff like that. And part of that is how how my career developed later on in, in VC, but really started and was born as an investment banker. And that I think that was the biggest surprise to me. Probably, again, probably the biggest surprise to basically everyone who knew yeah. me, who was like, Really? You? <laughs> what was your what was your persona then before? When- Social enterprise nonprofit okay. person. Yeah. So it and just so felt like going, a 180 to people. Yeah. And I like both of my parents worked in finance and mm-hmm. I think even they were like, really? <laughs> but okay. <laughs> but yeah, going from being nonprofit, like literally going from working for a nonprofit into being banker Becca was was a real 180. Real Columbia MBA success story. <laughs> yeah, <there>. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you've made, so again, we talked about you made a lot of pivots. So then yeah. after iBanking, you made yet another pivot into VC. Can you talk a bit about how and why yeah. you made that decision? Yeah, I think when I was leaving investment banking, I realized I actually liked the tasks of finance, like mm-hmm. I said, but the investment banking culture and schedule of mm-hmm. working a bajillion hours a week and until two o'clock in the morning was 
just not going to be sustainable. And I really missed the impact space. And when I had gone to business school in 2014, the impact social enterprise, whatever you want to call it space, was still pretty nascent and disorganized. And I had Mm -hmm. said, okay, I'm going to go spend 10 years in industry and then I'll come back to this. And literally in the four to five years that I was gone, it went through an enormous transformation. And now I would say impact or ESG or whatever you Mm -hmm. want to call it is like pretty mainstream, not just within finance, but within the broader conversation. And I was really dying to get back to it. And so I really wanted to go into impact investing. And VC ended up being just happened to be the asset class that I ended up in, if you if that makes sense. But that in hindsight, it's not by accident because given my startup background and startup experience, like that totally fits together really well. Like I actually knew what it was like to work in a really small team and to be like flying by the seat of your pants with a lot of stuff and hacking solutions together and being really creative and scrappy. And so working with founders and doing that was just a really natural fit. So when I was out interviewing, the places where I got the farthest and had the most success were places where the impact, the startups, and the finance was all coming together. So I ended up at an impact VC fund. Hey there, it's Al. And thanks so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. I wanted to take a quick break to ask you a small favor. I'm loving doing this show, and I hope you're enjoying it too. If you're enjoying this episode, I would really appreciate it if you take a few minutes to leave a review and rate this podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, or simply share it on social media or send it to a friend. I'm incredibly grateful for your support. Thank you, and let's get back to the show. So you really used your pre-business school background to help you make that pivot, because I feel like it's, especially for career transitioners, because this is the same for me, there's this idea that, oh, what I did before isn't relevant Mm -hmm. to where I'm going now. But for me, I started my career in film production and then in HR. And now I'm in a leadership role in marketing, right? I use that film background all the time, both the hard skills and the soft skills. Yeah. So it sounds like you really just found the intersection between your pre-business school life and what you've learned after business school to find the right next transition point. Yeah. And I think honestly, it's true for everyone. Like I think there's threads of whatever you did before that are always going to inform what comes next. And even if film production doesn't necessarily sound like the most obvious fit for- (laughs) Yeah. The most transferable skill, but like being able to talk about project managing many different people Mm -hmm. and logistics of many different things to deliver a very cohesive like- Right. vision that has a very distinctive feel. There's yeah. a lot of tight budgets. Yeah. Big big egos and personalities. Big egos and personalities. Exactly. <laughs> a lot of people have a tendency to look at their past experience with only one lens. And I think the secret for me has always been that my my past experience is like a very fluid, like Play-Doh sort of thing where I can mold it to be whatever it needs to be in order for me to tell my story about what I want to do next. That is my always biggest advice. Like you have to market your own career and market your own background the same way you'd market any product. And you you write your resume and tell your story for the job you want, not the job you have. Exactly. So what are those elements that are transferable that can get you to where you need to go next? Everybody has some. You just have to figure out what they are. Exactly. Exactly. So Speaking of helping people make that transition, VC is a really hot field right now. Indeed. Um, Although with the economy shifting, who knows if it'll continue to be, but it's, I feel like when you talk to, when I talk to current MBAs, when we went to business school, it was like banking and consulting. And now people are like, they want to go into VC, but 
What do you think those who want to break into VC should know before mm-hmm. pursuing this as a career path? Oh, I mean, oh, blessings and curses. It's an incredible job. So much of being in VC is truly just like working with founders and helping them figure out how to do what they do best, talking to people who are really passionate about what they're doing, what they're building. A lot of it is saying no to people who do not want to hear no. So <laughs> that can be really heartbreaking. And it can be like you're develop- you take a long time to develop a relationship and then ultimately the powers that be say, no, we're not in- investing in this. And then all of that was for nothing and that's a bummer. I think there's a lot of highs, there's a lot of lows in this job. The two, I would say the biggest thing though is the feedback cycle is really long. I've Mm. been in it for five years now and I still don't really know if any of my bets were successful because Mm. we haven't had any exits yet from my first fund. We've had, certainly had companies that like went on to raise more money at higher valuations and on paper are more successful. But Mm. I think in, again, in this market, like you can't count on the fact that Value. This has been written up to a billion dollars. Like right. until the deal, until you have IPO'd, until you have been bought, until you the documents are signed and the money is out the door. I'm not counting my chickens <laughs> before they hatch. And like that's, can you imagine like doing a project and then you don't know for ten years right. if you did well on that project or not? Mm-hmm. And so many things can go wrong in that ten right. years that are out of your control. That are completely out of your control. That are out of the founder's control. Yeah. Uh, thinking about what we invested in in 2018, 2019. And then the pandemic came. Mm -hmm. And like we had some companies that navigated that transition incredibly well. And we had some companies that navigated that transition incredibly poorly. Mm. And who could have foreseen that in a way? It's a very long feedback cycle. And that gives room for people who are overconfident to continue to be overconfident for a long time. Say more. more I think, yeah. I think this sort of like boom bull market that VC Mm -hmm. has had and enjoyed for the last couple of years has left a lot of room for people who say more than they do to enter the fray. Me and a couple of my friends just call them Chads. Sorry to people named Chad. I'm sorry. (gasps) Uh, They've taken that hit before. Yeah, they've, they know. But yeah, they, there's a lot of Chads out there who Mm -hmm. are quite arrogant for probably doing very little. And the people of real substance in the industry, you do have to like seek them out, mine them. Maybe they're not at the biggest name firms. And the biggest name firms have changed a lot. So they can be helpful in some ways, but they can also write you a check and then never pick up your call ever again. And that's really, that's, you know, this industry is changing a lot. And if you aren't really certain of yourself and certain in what your expertise is or what your skills are, it can be a very tough place to navigate. And I'd imagine particularly as a woman. Yeah. I think I'm extremely lucky that I came to VC in two funds that were led by women and not necessarily like, at least the first fund, not necessarily focused on specifically investing in women, but just Just happened to be led led by by women. And also with the sort of advent of All Raise, which is the, the, I guess it's a nonprofit or advocacy group for getting more women into VC and into check writing positions. I think the industry is changing a lot. And frankly, I wasn't around when it was really bad before that, but I've heard it was pretty terrible. That said, it's certainly still, bad things certainly still happen. Sexism certainly still happens, Mm -hmm. but that's also 
part and parcel of finance in general and tech right. in general to some extent as well. Oh, so. yes. It still exists in tech. Yep. Yep. Well, Not well, going away anytime soon, unfortunately. Different, different podcast. We'll talk That's a different we'll podcast. Deeper into that one on a different podcast. Indeed. So I want to go back to your career path because I think when you go to business school, at least when I went to business school, I remember there was this attitude of, I'm going to find my dream job. This is going to be the job I have. Maybe it's not the company for the rest of my life, but the career that I have for the rest of my life. And I'm still in the same career that I was after business school, but who knows if that'll continue to be. But you've made these shifts. So can you talk a little bit more at a high level about how you navigate these career changes in your career path? Very good question, especially because I just left my last fund and Mm -hmm. charting a new course as we speak. Exciting. And yeah, I think there's, for me personally, there's a couple of different things. One is I have a very high uh, appetite for risk. I don't. Yeah, which a lot of people don't. And that's absolutely, totally, totally fine. But like, I am absolutely not afraid to like go try something new Mm -hmm. and fail and or have the possibility of failure. And I just know that I'll be able to figure it out somehow. Mm. Yeah, there that's just that's where does sort that of, come from? Like I have you- no idea. <laughs> I, love I have absolutely no idea. Certainly my I'm sure my I can credit my parents, I'm sure. Because yeah. they they both are very much like smart, thoughtful people who can did their own thing and, and mm-hmm. found their own way in the world. But yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's not, I, I, I don't so you're know. just comfortable with risk. You're comfortable with being comfortable like, all right, I'm ready. Yeah. How do you know when it's time to move on? Because I feel like that's the other challenge. Oh, that Sorry. is a oh. tough question. <laughs> no, and I, and to be honest, I don't know if I've gotten that right okay. anytime or yeah. every time. There's probably, probably early on, I stayed too long at jobs because I was afraid of looking like a job hopper mm-hmm. or something like that. And sometimes I've maybe left too early and maybe should have tried a little bit harder or something like that. But I think for me, I've never had a five-year plan. I've never had mm-hmm. an end goal. I've never said, I want to be a partner at a top 10 fund or president of the United States or whatever it is. Like I've never had those kinds of dreams or goals as a kid. I just was like, I want to do stuff that's like really interesting. Yeah. And so to me, I want to work with good people. I want to do stuff where I'm learning a lot and I want to do stuff where I can really flex my muscles and my expertise and and make a difference, make yeah. an impact, whether that's on an individual level or on a company level or on a more macro level. And so thinking about how I navigate different markets and Mm -hmm. different opportunities and incorporate more of what I like to do and who I like to do it with and less of what I don't like to do and (laughs) less of who I don't like to do it with. That's sort of what governs that. So yeah, I think right now I am starting my own consulting practice. I'm going to be doing more fractional CFO work and sort of strategic finance work for startups that don't have the capacity to take on a full-time CFO. And that's really meaningful to me because it means that I can work with a bunch of different startups on the founder side of the table instead of on the investor side of the Mm. table, which is sometimes not the same side of the table. Right. Yeah. Different and, and I'm really excited about that. And I can still continue to maybe invest a little bit on the side as an mm. angel or as part of a syndicate or something like that. But but yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunities for a lot of different plugins in the mm. startup space. And it's exciting to be a lot more malleable outside of a formal structure. So I'm excited about I that. I love it. That's yeah. exciting. 
Yeah. Uh, so again, as you go through these different careers and mm-hmm. industries and phases, bringing it back to MBA podcast, mm-hmm. all about business school, is there one thing that you've learned from business school that you use mm. all the time, no matter the job or the industry that you've been in? Oh, one thing from business school that I use all the time. Maybe this is like really dumb to say, but my network. That's um, not dumb at all. Yeah. It's like the most I think, valuable part of an MBA. Yeah. Like I, the, it's, that's the well that I go back to the most is mm-hmm. when I have a question about something, there's almost always someone I know from business school who's doing something related to that. Even recently, um, I was looking at a deal in the restaurant space and I had someone who literally was working for like a rival company. And so wow. I called him up and I was like, Hey man, how, it's been a couple of years. We're like, how you doing? And I ended up, we had a really nice chat and got some good like market info from mm. him. And it was just really, it's nice to always have a good excuse to refresh those relationships, but also just being able to tap into that deep well of experience mm-hmm. and be able to get like really honest information about Rebecca you do not want to do this this is stupid or (laughs) you're becoming a fractional CFO that's like a dead end or something whatever it is I think the business school network is what I put the most time into developing while I was there Mm. because I'm a very social creature and it's certainly the biggest asset that I leverage I think from business school I love it and I'd be remiss to leave us without asking your thoughts on what's on what do you think's on the radar What's on your radar, rather, for the future of impact investing? Oh, very good question. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people who have a lot of thoughts right now. I think the, the biggest push forward is going to be expanding expanding beyond just sustainability or sort of environmental measures. Because mm-hmm. I think right now when people think about impact investing, especially on the public side, they're mostly thinking about how do we measure energy and right. water and sustainability metrics. And I think bringing other stakeholders and bringing good governance and how do you really measure what is a good company? What makes like a good company is going to be really on the forefront. I think Europe is starting to do this through Mm -hmm. legislation, but a lot of it is, it's taken a long time to develop here in the States. I'm eager to see what, what comes next. So. Well, I'm also eager to see what comes next for you in your career. Thank you, Rebecca, for sharing your insight, your wisdom, your journey. I know it's always valuable to hear me for myself selfishly, but I hope everybody else was also able to benefit from Rebecca's wisdom. So thanks Thanks, for joining us. Hi, everyone. LD here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.